What's your name, scumbag? Jesse Spector is... Ovechkin, Alex, is that his name? Harry Carey. Wayne Gretzky! Moses! No! No! Please, please, don't make a fuss. Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. You're right to me. Welcome to the Steve Eiserman Show. I'm Jesse Spector, filling in for Steve Eiserman, who is on assignment. Um, boy, is he on an assignment. Uh, on assignment trying to rebuild the Detroit Red Wings after you know, what he did in Tampa. Uh, here today to talk about the Red Wings and a whole lot more is Max Boltman, the Red Wings beat writer for The Athletic, who has watched uh, some some hockey this season, that's for sure. Um, How is that treating you, Max? It's pretty good. I mean, it's still on the worst day. It's still watching hockey, but yeah, there's certainly uh, some better hockey being played elsewhere, to put it mildly. Um, yeah, I, I'd say um, everywhere else, uh, there's there's better <laughs> hockey being played. It, it I mean, the the Wings are 31st out of 31 in goals scored, 31st out of 31 in goals against. They are. We are recording this on Friday. Uh, it is the middle of February, and and the Wings are guaranteed not to have a winning record this season. They are fourteen, forty-one, and four, which is uh, you know a pattern. So there's something to that. Um, they play the Bruins on Saturday, which will uh, you know in in all likelihood send them to uh, a guaranteed losing season. But you know they're they're gonna get there. I'm sure. Um, is there is there a bright spot to speak of in all this? Well, assuming we mean non-draft uh, division, because they'll obviously be getting the top four pick in this draft, which is something they sorely need. They haven't picked that high in a couple decades. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the bright spot is sort of twofold. Number one, they had a couple of prospects who have made some good progress. That would be Moritz Sider, the guy they took sixth overall in the last draft was probably the shock of the, at least the first round, maybe even more of the draft. Um, he's coming along really well. I was in Grand Rapids not too long ago and saw him. I think he's going to be a really solid player for them back there. They also had Philip Zadina, who was their sixth pick in the 2018 draft. Uh, he, he debuted last year, but this year he kind of came up in, in more of a full-time role. Uh, and prior to getting a little bit of an injury, he uh, he's looked very good, and he, he's coming along well. Philip Hronik, one of their young defensemen, uh, playing a, a workload of around 23 minutes a night, uh, sometimes higher, recently often higher, uh, and he's only 22. So that's those are kind of the main bright spots out of the season. Tyler Bertuzzi was their all-star. He's in the midst of a, what looks like it could be a career year. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Anthony Manta was the was the real story for them early on, but has since missed you know quite a, quite a bit of time with two different injuries and. Uh, that's kind of stifled what was what was emerging as kind of the their most positive storyline of the season. He he looks like a guy who at at twenty five should be a thirty five goal scorer if he can ever stay healthy. Yeah, um, there there certainly is you know good stuff happening as far as youth goes, but that uh, it's it's tough to look at this and and say that you know they're poised to put it back together in a real hurry. Is there a sense of just how long the the time frame is for this rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, 
has been really hesitant to use any timelines. To me, I, I look at it just by the components that are, are there and the ones that they still lack. So in Larkin, I think you have a first-line center, but on a contending team, you either need two of those or you want him, or you, or you want someone you know who's, who's even better. So, to me, he's one of their two top six centers for sure. He's young, a future captain. Um, he's already an assistant captain, actually. Uh, you got Mantha, who's a first line winger. Again, that's one of really four you need. I think Bertuzzi can play on a contender anywhere in the top nine. I think mm-hmm. he's played on their first line and has been a really good um, line with Larkin and Mantha when they're together. So maybe someday that that's that line continues to play together. Phillips, you know, looks like he's going to be a top six winger. Uh, and then they've got a couple of kind of like upfront guys who you don't quite know what they will be. So in the prospect sense, that's Michael Rasmussen and Joe Valeno, two first round picks from recent years who I think are probably best suited on a contender as third line centers. So they've, they've got two guys who can fill that role in theory um, they've got Andreas Athanasiou and Robbie Fabry, who I think are best suited as kind of third-line scoring wingers. Uh, but, you know, on the right team, they could play up a line or, or whatever because Athanasiou's got a 30-goal season under his belt. Fabry's got some pedigree, and, and he's been injured a lot. But he's been one of their better offensive players since they traded for him. Um, and then on defense, you got Sider, who I think will play on a top pair, if not necessarily drive the top pair, and Hironik, who uh, be quite good, I think, at driving a second pair. So... That's kind of what they got. So you're you're missing at least one elite winger, at least one elite center, uh, at least one elite defenseman, and, and probably another pretty good like second pair defenseman. I mean, if if you go just through the draft, that puts you, you know, at least two to three drafts away. Yeah, that's uh, and at that point you start getting into you know you're only uh, and Larkin signed through 2023, but. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you're you're looking at you know a totally different team basically by then, and I, and I wonder how much that impacts you know what what you're looking at and, and how you can build a team when you know that you know there's really only a couple of guys here that that really figure to be there, you know who are who are there now who figure to be there when this gets good. Yeah, I mean that's the the eternal question because. We've seen teams turn it around fairly quick, right? Like they're on pace to have the worst season of the salary cap era. Uh, worst currently of that era is the 2016-17 Avalanche, who, you know, they've turned it around fairly quickly into being a really good team, a team that I think could, could compete for a Stanley Cup as soon as this year. But that team already had Nathan McKinnon in place. It already had Miko Rantanen in place and Gabriel Landeskog. So I don't think there's a perfect comparison to that. Um, but that team still had a ton of turnover. I think they've only got like five or six guys from that team still around, even just three years later, I have to imagine a similar level of overhaul uh, over time is going to take place in Detroit. I, I think you're looking at a similar ballpark, like five, six, seven at the most. Of the, I mean, of the guys on the current team, I think it's got to be like five or six who, who will stay around. The most prospects aren't technically on the team yet, right. and Colorado had some of that too, but um, I think that's similar ballpark, 25% about and as you look at the continued reshape, the trade deadlines coming up, there are some candidates to move. What is your sense of, you know, and, and you know, there's also some no trade clauses and modified no trade clauses right. in the mix of players who veteran players who might be appealing to contenders. Um, is there 
is there a sense? I mean, I would think that if you're on any kind of no trade and you're you're sitting here on a team that's on pace to be the worst of the salary cap era, um, and you have a chance to go to a, a contender, any contender, if, especially if you're in your walk here, that you'd be willing to, uh, you know, get on out of there for for whatever it is, and then you know reassess things in the summer. Is that uh, is that pretty much what you're expecting? Yeah, I just think it's going to be kind of a core. I mean, Eiserman, as you guys know from, from down there, like mm-hmm. as your listeners will know, makes some things happen sometimes. But as you look at kind of the logical candidates, most of those guys haven't had the years that you would want to make them really appealing rentals. I mean, if you're looking at Jimmy Howard, he's had a real rough year. He's, he's in the last year of his contract as a goalie. I don't know who's going to move something of, of, of real consequence to, to trade for him as as their you know, back up. Mike Green, the guy who every trade deadline is mentioned, he's one of those guys with the uh, uh, no trade. I think by this point, that's a, a no trade list, according to Cap Friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's having a rough year, too, right? He's been injured. He's, he's not producing as much as you'd want. Interestingly, he's been one of their better guys in the D zone this year, which by reputation is a little bit like that. Uh, you got Trevor Daly, who you know, his his big selling point, right, is he's been on a cup team and he kind of knows, quote-unquote, how to win the ever-elusive, uh, you know, who knows what it really means, but people seem to value it for, for better or worse. Uh, but I don't think that's going to bring you much more than a late-round draft pick at this point, right? He's not playing big minutes for the worst team in the salary cup era. What, what's he what's he mean to a contender other than maybe some, some good depth for, for a playoff run? The, the big one is Athena CU, and, and he's a guy who's going to be a restricted free agent, it's kind of they've got a ton of RFAs this summer. It's Mantha, Athanasiu, Bertuzzi, Fabry, uh, and then they've got kind of a some bottom line of guys: Adam Ernie, Brendan Pellini, Christopher N, who are all going to need new contracts. And and you figure someone's kind of going to get be on the outside looking in of that. It's probably one or two of those bottom line of guys that I mentioned. But um, even when you got a guy like Athanasiu, you got to decide where he fits. And I think with the year he's had, they may end up being better off just bringing him back and. Uh, either trying to move him in the off season or, or let him kind of have more time to to play back into his old form early next year. No one's really shown this season that they can, other than maybe Bertuzzi and Hironic, um, make big strides forward over a course of a full season on on this team. Manta, I guess, would be the exception to that. But um, I think that's going to be tough. I don't think he's had the year that you'd want to trade him. I don't think you want to sell low on him. So um, he's a guy who I think would would draw interest, but it, the question is, is he going to draw enough that, you know, they're going to be willing to part with a guy who scored 30 goals for him last year? Yeah, I, I would think that, you know, from the Wings' perspective, that even if it is a low return on a guy like, you know, guys like Daly, um, that you take it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they because, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those, those round picks can have some value for you, and especially, you know, you're looking at an organization that, that needs bodies and and especially if you can turn those late round picks into something i know that it's you know anytime you get past like the top 10 picks you're really sort of in a in a lottery ticket sort of scenario but the more of them you have the more chance you get to actually uh make something happen with it so i I would think that that's uh you know up their alley but We'll see. And I, I do wonder, too, if you know, once you clear out some veterans and you give some young guys a chance to play and they're playing 
to show that they belong in the NHL, that they can be part of things as the organization goes forward if the Wings don't maybe get a bounce a little bit late in the season and, and become you know a, a little bit tougher to play against than they are now. They had that happen last year, and a lot of people were upset by it because they went on like an eight-game winning streak and uh, passed the Devils, and then the Devils won the draft lottery. Uh, is a real risk, and I think you know, especially as, as they get healthy here, like they they were up without Mantha for you know a month or maybe a little bit longer than that, probably six weeks. And Lee and and he to me is kind of their most important play driver with everything that he does along with Larkin, and then they're currently without Zadina, so. Those guys get healthy. Yeah, I, I could see them going on a little. Not, not, not going to win eight games in a row, and it just so happens that they're harsh. I don't know if you've looked at their schedule at all. Is insane. I think they play all playoff teams except for one, and that team is the Blackhawks, who are still kind of fighting for their lives. So uh, March is going to be rough for them. But if they can get Zadina back here in the back half of February, uh, they could go on and, and you know win three out of five or something, or um, have a, a little spurt like that. They have won in spurts whenever they've won this season. It's it's very rarely been an isolated win. But the flip side of that is they've had some real long losing streaks as well. Yeah, it just came off of a uh, nine in a row. Of, you know, it was that's right six in a row if you if you count the overtime loss as getting a point. But it was oh eight and one. Um, yeah, from January twelfth to February third before they got a shootout win over the Sabers and. No, that was uh, that was something too. Um, yeah, I mean, disregarding the NHL's you know decision to not call a, an overtime or shootout loss a loss, which it is, uh, they've had I think three and at least eight this season. One of them got got into double digits. Yeah, they they did have a ten game regulation losing streak, so that was uh, yep. That'll submarine a season for you. Um, <laughs> it will. That's uh, that's rough. Uh, is there? I mean, this was a this was an organization that was in the playoffs every year for you know, yeah twenty plus years, and then moved into a new arena and the bottom fell out of everything. Is there still? I mean, is is the passion still there in the city for you know and and around Detroit and Michigan for 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 the Wings I and mean, even as they go through this? Is there what? I mean, is is that is is that passion still there? Just uh, I know, or, or yeah. it, has it become? I know people bind this, I guess, because I, I think that everybody had to understand that at some point the, a rebuild was gonna have to happen when you had all of the guys that were on the contracts. For were. sure. Yeah, and, and I think you know it's been number one when when if when a team had that much success for that long, it does two things. Number one, it means that there's a lot of people who grew up, you know, with this as their team, right? Like, this was the, the team that they could kind of count on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of devoted fans, for sure, and that can manifest in in both, like, okay, they're going to cut them some slack because they, they know that they did it right for so long and they kind of believe in them. It also can mean some, like, you know, what the hell is this? Like, this is the Red Wings, right? So a little bit of both, right? And I think certainly when Iserman arrived, that bought more patience, it bought more goodwill, it's a guy who they trust, not just because he led him to, to success as a player, but because everyone knows the team he built down in Tampa is kind of the model organization. I mean, they, they haven't gone all the way yet, but, like, the way that he was able to draft, for example, the way that he was able to, to structure guys to, to build a culture where players were taking less than what they could have gotten on the, on the open market, 
um, those are significant. And, and really the fact that he was willing to, to make hard calls that were not just based on kind of going with, with the flow, um, those are all things that buy him quite a bit of goodwill. I mean, when you look at the, the Anthony Sorelli's of the world, that's what it's going to take to get the Red Wings out of where they're at is, is they're going to have to hit on some guys in the, in the third round, whether it's Sorelli, whether it's a Brayton Point, whether it's Nikita Kucherov, I think was late second. Um, if, if they hit on one or two of those, then that timeline that we talked about earlier can get sped up. I mean, sometimes those guys take a little bit longer to arrive, but ultimately that's the sustainable model. If, you, if you're just relying on your first-round picks, uh, to succeed, then it's tough because at some point, if you want to be good, you're gonna you're gonna play yourself out of that safe range in in the top ten where you can feel pretty confident about the caliber of player will just automatically be there. And, and in Tampa, I don't know how much of that's Al Murray, how much of it's Steve, but they found great players well beyond where you're supposed to be able to find great players. And so I think people here um, look at that as a, as a big source of hope as much as anything. We'll stock up on those mid-round, late-round picks at this trade deadline in a week and a half. <laughs> that's, uh, that's yeah, a that's right. For you. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break here, and we'll come right on back uh, with Max Boltman from The Athletic in Detroit. You're listening to Jesse Becker is on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to Jesse Specter is on Lightning Power Play, joined today by Max Boltman from The Athletic in Detroit. We've been talking about the Red Wings, and now we can get away from talking about the Red Wings at, at least a bit, and uh, and ask Max, uh, how did you become a hockey guy? Yeah, um, it's kind of roundabout. I mean, I, I played, obviously, when I was a kid, I played uh, roller hockey in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, uh, there was a program run through the minor league team at the Grand Rapids Griffins, um, in the AHL, and they called the Griffins Youth Foundation. They provided kind of free equipment and twice a week ice times. They would divide everybody up into teams. And uh, that's kind of how I started playing hockey. I you know, I played through high school and wasn't particularly good. My high school te- my varsity team never won a game, uh, which was obviously quite uh, quite thrilling. <laughs> I was after that, you know, I I went on to, to Michigan and um, I didn't follow the team that closely there, but there were you know, okay when I was there, kind of coincidental to the Red Wings um, streak being over right about the time I arrived on the beat. Uh, Michigan had had a, a pretty good uh, postseason success run themselves for a while, and um, that ended when I was there. So I don't know if I'm a if I'm like a curse for whatever hockey teams are in my vicinity or what, but um, I didn't follow them super closely. They had good players there. Larkin was there when I was there. Zach Wierenski, Kyle Connor. But um, it wasn't something that when I got out of college I expected to be, you know, my beat or what I really wanted to be my beat. I, I had covered Michigan football and uh, Michigan basketball, and I think when I first graduated I went to an internship at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and then that's when the Athletic launched, and I was freelancing Michigan football then. And, um, eventually they were going to hire someone, you know, more established on that beat than someone right out of college. Totally understood that. Uh, and so I kind of eventually ended up getting hired on as a GA, which basically meant I was everybody's backup. And, um, you know, someone had to go do something. I just wanted an extra person around to help work the locker room. I was more than happy to do it. Otherwise, I was just kind of doing features on my own uh, time with, with whatever I could. So it ended up that the trade deadline two years ago, so the, the Thomas Tatar trade for the Red Wings, um, my 
boss, Craig Custance, was our Red Wings writer, and he, being kind of a league-wide insider, had a lot to do, you know, working the phones and all that stuff. And he kind of had me for that week just be around Little Caesars and, and do the Little Caesars Arena. And uh, although I do spend some time with the pizza shop too. And uh, work the room and, and do the day-to-day. And I really was stunned at how much fun I had um, doing hockey writing. I hadn't really covered a sport that I felt like I understood on that level before. Like, I, you know, everyone kind of knows football and knows what's what looks good and what's bad. But I also felt like on hockey I could watch the game a little bit better than I could watching football without kind of needing to have it, have it be so defined by uh, how the play turned out, right? And so I had a lot of fun with it. And then, so I, then I started kind of doing some, some prospect stuff on Red Wings and calling junior coaches and talk about the Red Wings farm system. This was early in the rebuild, so people were um, still kind of figuring out, you know, what what the farm system looked like. And um, it ended up that I was, Craig asked me to come to the draft, and that was the Zadina draft. I covered that, and I, I thought it went pretty well, and they were, at, at, some, at that point, Craig asked me if I wanted to just jump on the Red Wings beat full-time, and that's been awesome. It's been the best uh, best beat I've had so far, and even though the, the results uh, have not always made it a fun room to, to cover most of the time, it, not a whole lot of wins and not a whole lot of uh, happy quotes to dole out, but I, I really like uh, working at a hockey team. When you're watching a team like this, does it, does it teach you a, a little bit of something where, you, where you're kind of watching the other teams too? Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I, I think uh, right before I, I jumped on the Red Wings, the, the team I had, I was spending more of my time on was the 20, uh, I guess it would be 2018 Tigers, who were also quite bad. Uh, so I, I've got, a at this point, a, a quite a history of, of covering losing teams. And um, that's one of the things that I think is, is fun about it is you get to kind of look you know, everyone coming through and see what works for, for other teams. And I, I enjoy that quite a bit. I also enjoy um, doing some of the prospect stuff that I, I don't know that I would have ever stumbled into quite as much were I not covering so many rebuilding teams. I think guys, when they're young, when they're prospects, um, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's about, like, kind of not having the, the guard up so much, but they're they're really generous with their time. They really, you know, can speak freely about stuff. And, um, I, I really enjoy covering some of those younger guys too because they they're really willing to open up a little bit. I think that that's uh, that's how hockey players are. I, I feel like in, in sort of their natural state, and then you kind of get a little bit of that media training, or, or maybe something that you're a little bit too honest comes back to bite you, and then they close off a little bit. Um, and then once you get to be sort of more of a veteran, you can open up more because you're you're just uh uh i can't think of a out of yeah you're a made you know, man right um i think that's an interesting way to, to think of career paths that way yeah prospects can be uh really really interesting that way um so having been around you know the state of michigan pretty much uh, all, all the way through how would you describe um, and I don't know if this is fair to ask you, you know, not having necessarily uh, lived in other places, but like, how would you describe the the hockey culture in Detroit and in Michigan, you know, and, and what sets it apart from other places? Yeah, well, I've got family in Minnesota, so I do feel a little, like I've got a little bit of uh, okay. perspective on that. Um, so, I, I, you know, the way I would put it, a lot of um, 
in Detroit specifically, what strikes me is like for a place that is, you know, calls itself hockey town, and I think deservedly to some degree, um, there's not as much kind of like in the city, and I think that's some, something the hockey everywhere struggles with is the cost. And so I think um, in Michigan as a whole, it's a you know it, it's pretty robust culture. There's a lot of hockey culture. There's there's a pretty uh, wide base of teams in every major metro area, and and that makes it really fun. I but the thing that struck me since moving down here is there's really not many places in the city of Detroit for kids to like learn to play and I think that's the thing that has been on my mind the most since moving out to this side of the state there is one program similar to the one that I described that kind of got me into hockey it's called Detroit Ice Dreams I did a feature on uh, that last year uh, and the guy who found it is a guy named Jason McCrimmon who's a, a really good guy and really I think cares about spreading uh, the sport in, in inside the actual city of Detroit um, there's also a, a program at Clark Park, which is an outdoor rink that I've gotten to play on a couple of times, which is a blast. It's like full, you know, full boards, full glass, really cool. But um, so much of it kind of happens in the suburbs, and you know, I, I don't think that's unique to Detroit. Uh, but it is the thing that I think has been on my mind most. So we, when you ask about hockey culture, it's just kind of the, the, the thing that sticks for me. Has the new arena? And I have not been to uh, the new arena. I, I was there uh, late in the the life of the Joe um, has the new arena had the intended effect at least of, of, you know, keeping people um, sort of in that area around the, around the arena and, and, or is it still just sort of like you drive in, park your car in the garage and then you drive out? Well, I didn't leave here until the arena was here. So I don't know what it was like before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say there's been some development kind of within that radius, but, maybe not quite as much as I think people might have hoped for. I think, you know, a lot of the stuff on... So, really, LCA is on one side of, basically, the highway. And uh, on the other side is coming out of the park, Ford Field. There's some restaurants, some shopping. So, it's, like, walkable to all that stuff. But on the side of um, LCA, there's not as much of that. Although, you know, it's still on Woodward, so you can walk down the street, and there's bars, and there's coffee shops, and there's... You know, I saw a comedy show can't be more than two, three blocks, maybe a little more than that, but um, down Woodward last year. So there's stuff going on, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, there could be a lot more to, you know, a lot more going on in that area. And I, I think the the ever-present worry of that is how do you keep a city true to uh, simultaneously the, the actual, you know, roots of the city, the people who have stayed with Detroit through, the ups and downs and, and also kind of add in the, the development that I think every you know city on some level kind of wants. That's, uh, that's for sure. If there's uh, one thing that you hope to cover uh, going forward, what would it be? At this point, I just want to cover a playoff series for somebody. I mean, I'll jump on, I'll jump on someone else's beat to do that at this point. I, I want to cover a game where the, the game really matters. You know, I think that's uh it, there's just not many where, and in some ways, our model, I think, at the athletic, it, it makes this okay because we're we're not really focused on like you know recapping a game. But yeah. I think the way that moments heighten in big games is something that I miss when I covered football, where every game felt like there was some level of life and death to it. I covered the Michigan Ohio State game in 2016, where it went to double overtime and. There was the question of, you know, JT Barrett, did he get the first down, did he not, and all those replay angles, and 
and then obviously the very next play they score a touchdown. That that really, you know, Jim Harbaugh is still still there, still still kicking. But man, we may look back on that one day as a game that completely changed the the course of Jim Harbaugh's Michigan career. Um, and you just don't have Moak that uh, on a rebuilding team like this. So I just want some kind of uh, some kind of stakes to it. But I'm I'm really happy covering covering hockey and, and covering hockey, you know, not too far from, from home. So that's about, uh, I'm not a, I'm a pretty simple man. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a pretty simple show, and I appreciate you having uh, taken the time to, to do it and to talk. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Max Bowman, everybody, from The Athletic in Detroit. You can subscribe to The Athletic at uh, theathletic.com. Are there any codes or anything that people should know if they haven't already subscribed? Anything going uh, right my now? My podcast code is breakfast. I think that's still active and that gets you 40% off. All right, there you go. So if you, for some reason, have not yet signed up to The Athletic, do that. Uh, and this show uh, continues to be uh, you know, happy, to, happy to have guests on from The Athletic. We, it, it feels like there's a a high and that's because they do good work over there so uh you know consider that an endorsement uh, that is unpaid because uh you know, that's how we roll that's uh that's it for this week's show but thanks for thanks for listening go check out max Bowman at the at the athletic um and stay tuned on lightning power play and uh, come on back here next week for another episode of jesse specter is that's all for now we'll see you next time thanks a lot